song. Uh, just don't get it. Welcome to Shame of Thrones, your weekly recap podcast for HBO's uh, Leroy Jenkins of a TV show, a Game of Thrones. And uh, Brian, how you doing tonight? Doing great, Doug. How are you? Pretty good. And I think it was Matt Gorley on an episode of Super Ego um, who told me that Leroy Jenkins, you know that meme, uh, that guy was actually, that name wasn't just pulled out of a hat. There was a televangelist called Leroy Jenkins and he is a horrible person yeah go ahead and uh YouTube Leroy Jenkins awful human being in the 80s and 70s uh stole a lot of uh money from a lot of dumb old people um and that's how I feel about this show uh although oh you know what though there was a big difference between because the my understanding is the one on the meme was spelled l-e-e-r-o-y but the televangelist was L-E-R-O-Y. So. See, see, and that's the thing is you would think the guy who shouted it out wouldn't have spelled it. But, uh, yeah. you know, I guess he did because that you saw, saw that on the computer. So I'm sure it's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, yeah, we're back here uh, for an awesome, just amazing episode of uh, Game of Thrones. Um, this is season five episode, I want to say seven. seven. Yeah. The Gift. Um, so this wasn't as bad as some of the more recent episodes, I felt, but it wasn't good either. Your thoughts? Yeah, same. A really depressing tone throughout most of it. Uh, it was directed by the same guy who does Hard Home, and then also the last two episodes of the sixth season, which I think we agreed are two of the best, if not the best. Miguel Sapochnik, yep. I think is how you say his name. So I don't know if he just wasn't working with good source material on this one, but this was kind of a downer uh, to me as well. Started off on a sour note, and then also, uh, you know, we keep saying the same things, but also just some nonsense. Well, it's good to see, um, good to see the Queen of Thorns get a fair, fair amount of screen time yep. in this one. Not good to see the Sand Skanks get any episode, uh, <sighs> any screen time. Uh, also, no John, which I always like to check in with John. Uh, yeah, a little bit too much of Ramsey being Ramsey and, and so on and so forth. So the episode named The Gift apparently refers both to, uh, I think, to Littlefinger's gift to Olena later right. in the episode, as yep. well as, of course, Tyrion, which it's kind of surprising that they use that term instead of it referring to the plot of land or area of land that John planned to give to the Yeah, called The, the Gift. Yeah. So kind of interesting. I, I would have thought that would have been what this referred to do but uh, apparently not so that plot of land was given to the night's watch by i don't know one of the targaryen queens who came up to like just check on things and they she was so impressed by the men that she decided to give them more land and some kind of like public domain thing i'm sure there were people living there and she's like sorry you don't live here anymore <laughs> this land belongs to the night's watch because i'm the queen and i can do whatever i want or whatever yeah you thought evident domain is bad these days yeah oh man yeah, and there were no Clive and Bundys back there to stand for, up for uh, individual <laughs> rights. American like heroes. <laughs> yeah, to take over a, a post office at a bird sanctuary. <laughs> wow. All right, yeah, so uh, going back to here now, I agree with you. Um, so let's jump right in. Okay, so the episode starts at the wall. Uh, a bunch of freezing idiots are uh, getting ready to head out um, in search of the remaining wildlings who fled the battle uh, after Stannis attacked them at the wall. Uh, several men, including uh, the second-in-command, Alistair Thorne, look on disapprovingly. Thorne tells them straight up, this is a bad idea, don't do it. <laughs> uh, 
And he, you know, John graciously says, thank you for your counsel, uh, dismisses him. Uh, Sam gives John a goodbye smoochie and wishes him well, says he hopes he doesn't see a White Walker, but gives him a uh, dragon glass, or was it a, was it a Valyrian, like, knife or something? I can't remember. Oh, no, it was dragon glass, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a bunch of dragon glass, actually, because that's the uh, the sack of dragon glass that John loses when he fights uh, <laughs> oh, the badass yeah. at Hardhome. I gotta yeah. keep it all together. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough just to have one blade, you gotta just have a whole sack of them. Yep, exactly. Well, then it's more dramatic in the later episode, of course. Yeah, I guess. All right, so uh, later on, um, Maester Eamon is losing his marbles. Um, they have a play date with uh, Gilly's baby. Gilly and Sam are caring for him because I guess no one else gives a shit. And I guess Sam's a, a steward still, so maybe that's his job. Anyway, uh, Eamon pleads with Sam to take him south before it's too late ominously. So that's about that. Um, I guess this is just checking in on everybody, right? This is what yeah. this is what John's gonna do. You know, people in the Night's Watch don't like it, and Maester Eamon's not doing so well. Yeah, and I think in the books, there's um, this the, this whole storyline is a lot different. John, uh, Sam and Gilly take Master Eamon with them back to uh, wherever the hell he's from, the Citadel, maybe or I yeah, don't know. well, they they're t- going. He's not from the Citadel. He's a Targaryen, but right. Um, they take him back because uh, Sam gets charged with being a Maester, so he's got to go to the Citadel. And right. they figure that uh, Maester Eamon would be good to get him south, away from the cold weather. Also, he has some connections at the Citadel since he's, uh, you know, uh, a Maester who's been doing it quite a bit. So he dies on the journey south, right? Right. Yeah. So, I, guess, I mean, I think that's part of it. They just have to kill off Eamon just because uh, it allows the Night's Watch to fall into further chaos for the most part. Um, but, yeah, kind of kind of depressing. You know, this the portrait of senility on the television show. So, yeah, uh, but and, this, no, that, and, no, that, and no boobies to take away, take off the edge. Yeah, well, I think that, that this the, the level of senility is pretty consistent with the books. I mean, I think that's what really does happen to him for the most part. So, yeah, just compressing storylines. Uh, but it's it's depressing though, nonetheless. So, yeah. So well, next, let's cheer us up with this next scene. Yeah, God damn. Uh, we go to Winterfell, and Reek is bringing food to Sansa. Sansa's uh, obviously depressed and beaten. She's sleepy in bed, whatever time of the day it is. Theon wakes her by closing an open window that's allowing snow to come in. Sansa asks for his help, to which Reek replies, just comply with what Ramsay says. Sansa says uh, he, referring to Ramsay, comes in every night to hurt her. So they begin some yelling back and forth, or Sansa begins yelling at, at Reek and asks for help, tells him he's Theon, goddammit. Sansa then asks Reek to go light the signal candle that's been referred to in prior episodes. After a little title spewing uh, pep talk, Reek promises to light the signal candle. We transition to Reek walking outside, looking at the the candle where we would presume he would put the signal light, walking and holding the candle, climbing upstairs. Just when there's some degree of hope, of course, he arrives at Ramsay's room, presumably spilling the beans to Ramsay. And then we have a quick shot of Brienne out in the winter and the snow to remind us exactly what the candle is for, of course. Right. Uh, yeah, so there's some pretty brutal bruises on uh, Sansa's arm. Um, yeah, why are we going back to this after a week? You know, you're just like, oh, maybe we could just forget it happened. Nope. <laughs> no, yeah. It happens and, you know, every night. <laughs> I still don't understand Ramsay's motivation in hurting Sansa. Um 
it really is baffling to me still, other than to show he's a bad guy. Yeah. And, you know, I think there were some senators uh, a year or two ago also told us that in the case of rape, the body has a way of just shutting down a pregnancy. Yeah, so that's true. This is very counterproductive to mm-hmm. what his goals are. It's to have a ch- I say that in jest, of course. That person who said that is one of the worst people in the world. Um, also a senator or, or congressman. So probably that, probably got reelected. District. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, this is uh, this is this is really brutal. I don't, I, I don't. I mean, we've talked about what these storylines are, and I guess there's some degree of point to it. But it's just so that coming off of what we just saw last episode to this, it's just not necessary. It's kind of sickening. Uh, yeah, it's definitely not uh, necessary. Um, uh, and what do we learn once again? Theon is still an obedient pussy. So I guess what I said last week about showing the scene uh, or hearing the scene and close up on Theon's face as showing it as a like moment uh, turning point for Theon. Obviously it is not. He, you know, doubles down on being a coward here. Uh, so, so Ramsey bad. Ramsey's just an awful person and we're just being told that he's going to do it. And I guess it's, but, but it really gives you a sense of just the way the storyline in this episode plays out of just melancholy. Like, so what little hope that Sansa has here by coming out to Theon and saying she's gotta she's gotta get out, you gotta help me, and then having this taken away from her, it's just taking her even lower in the audience even lower. And not in a good way. So okay, so my thing is I understand that like you know, the bad guys have to be worse as the story goes on. I mean, this guy's gotta be worse than Joffrey, but at the same time it should be a challenge that she hopes to overcome because it's, or uh, something she has to overcome because it's challenging, not because it's like just pure misery. Like, like it's just misery on top of misery that she has to overcome. Yeah. And I don't think she really does it. She, I mean, she yeah. doesn't really do anything. Like, Dion saves her in the end. Like, she doesn't, like, she doesn't have like a active role um, in her story. And that's what's really, I think, offensive. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, she's already sunk low enough to where you, if she bounces back, that's a great story. She doesn't need to sink any lower. No yeah. question. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, what is this? And we go back to Brian just staring in the window. What? She couldn't get a fucking intern to do this? Her whole plan uh, hinges on just watching that tower just in case some, somebody lights a candle 24 hours a day, seven days a week. What the fuck? Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is I don't know why Sansa would bother or to would trust Theon at this point. I mean, he's clearly – he's I mean, he's reek. I don't think that she has any indication that he still has any loyalty to her. So why doesn't she wait for a better opportunity or, the, or one of her northern friends or – fuck anybody. I mean, there has to be an opportunity to get a message out beyond giving it to this, this – uh, to Theon. Yeah, that old lady before she got skinned alive would have right. been a good person to uh... – you know, spoiler alert, that happens later in the episode. This Precisely. is the only spoiler alert. Maybe um, she gets some yard time later on if she's good. good. Yeah. I mean, it's just terrible. Okay. So we head back up to the wall. Maester Eamon's condition uh, is worsening. Uh, he cries out for his little brother, Egg, who I guess that's short for Aegon. He was the Targaryen king. Um, after saying aloud that he had a dream... Uh, or he th- he dreamed he was old. Uh, we get a smash cut of his dead body on a funeral pyre, and Sam says some nice words, and then they set his ass on fire. 
Thorn, ever the nice guy, you know, this, you know, Mace Raven's probably been there forever and they probably were really good friends. Takes this opportunity to threaten Sam saying, you're losing all your friends, Charlie. <laughs> like some kind of like cartoonish bad guy. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Mace Raymond's gone and I, you're right. The, the loss of Mace Raymond just shows lack of, uh, you know, the, the, degrading situation at the wall but i yeah. feel like it could have meant more they could have really played up her um his relationship to danny and how he longs to like advise her uh and i think they did a better job of that in the books so like yeah and also like the importance to john and how much this means and how this kind of signals the passing of the guard right i mean there was the let the man live speech that he gave a couple weeks ago but uh, yeah, I think they they did a crappy job with Eamon in general, um, but it is again the, the senility and death. And he's interestingly, he's one of the I think he's the second person that we've seen die of natural causes on the show, other than Hoster Tully, who we oh, didn't yeah. even. I don't think he had any speaking part, but I think uh, Eamon's passing is particularly sad because he's I think he's one of the few what you could call a pure character in the show i mean in terms of morality and goodness and all that sort of thing oh yeah he's so. pretty he's mm-hmm. pretty it, he is pretty much a beacon of light but uh yeah i yeah. feel like his worth he didn't have a lot of it's hard to say that like i know he was an old older gentleman and he had a high moral compass but other than that he didn't bring much value at least on the show i feel like he could have been spouting more useful things or uh, yeah. just shown that he is still a value even at this age because everybody else is not only is everybody just uninformed illiterate rapists and uh you know murderers at the wall but he is highly educated and maybe his his knowledge could have been more i don't know this is all I, i'm in a very forgiving mood tonight so i'm gonna say that probably would have taken a long time to do on a tv show to develop the character that much but uh this death really didn't affect me at all yeah i'm with you on that <laughs> I mean, other than the sadness of the situation, yeah. I mean, I I never felt that attached to him as a character. No. Mm-hmm. All okay. right. So next we go back to um, back to Winterfell and Sansi and Rams are meeting apparently. Sansi. Uh, Sansa. Sansa and Ramsey. I thought you said Sansi. I but may that's have. A good, Who knows? No, they're a power couple, so that makes sense. I like it. I don't know. I think I prefer Ramza. <laughs> um, Ramza. Okay, you win. Yes. So it's apparent that Ramsey has summoned Sansa. Ramsey describes how happy he is. He apparently he was uh, expecting a big fat pig when he was be married. But I guess best on his father's uh, choice of wife. Ramsey then describes how Stannis is approaching with his large large army, including thousands of cell swords. But the snow has held them up, which has proven a stroke of luck because Ramsey and the Northerners know how to fight in the north. Ramsey then describes how he will be the warden and Sansa will be the wardeness. Sansa then brings up his little brother, or soon to be little brother, which he will have a stronger claim, essentially taunting Ramsey, which seems like a fucking terrible idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramsey then tells Sansa how well John has done, which Sansa is kind of surprised that John is now in charge of uh, the Night's Watch. Ramsey then recalls his reason for summoning Sansa, and it becomes clear that Reek betrayed her, and he's, that Ramsey has flayed and tortured the northern friend, and then sends Sansa back to her room. Yep, so all around fun stuff, right? Yeah, lots of fun. Yep. Um, 
So this is one thing that we talked about uh, that didn't make a lot of sense in terms of why the younger brother was so upsetting to Ramsey. Um, I read one explanation was that uh, he's particularly upset with the way that Roos is holding that over his head. And because there's no real, uh, there's no strict, uh, what's the right word here? There's no laws or or anything that say exactly how a bastard, a legitimized bastard, is to be treated in terms of the family hierarchy. That that Ramsey is threatened, of course, but he's also more pissed off that Roos is trying to use this as a way to bring him back in line, right? And just control because, him. Yeah, because I mean, Roos obviously disagrees with Ramsey's t- uh, tactics for a large part, at least some of the more brutal ones. But Ramsey, I don't think he's ready to give that aspect of his cruelty up uh, to please his father. Because no. I think it makes it works the best, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I think Sansa did a good job of laying it out, like uh, the fact that, well, you're a bastard, aren't you worried? And he said, "No, I've been legitimized by Joffrey or Tommen, another bastard." So she's calling into question who yeah. he is fundamentally, and I feel like she might have, you know, if if that would have affected him a little bit more, maybe she would have been the response reason why Fat Walder gets killed and the boy. Um, because like if he truly is legitimized, you would think he has no. There's there is no threat, but um, but there is because it's all a free for all in terms of what it actually means. So well, and then in the, yeah, and right now it's might makes right. There there is right. no lineage or shit. It's all for show, and I that that's a good thing that uh you know I George Martin does in the books uh, especially well, um and in the book, uh, Ramsey is marrying. A stand-in for Sansa Stark or for Arya Stark, one of the two. Uh, so it's this girl named Jane Poole who used to live in Winterfell, so she can pass a lot of the tests when people talk about you know growing up there. She has all she knows everybody who's there. She knows everything, um, but it's all for show just to shore up the North, saying, "Oh, we're marrying Sansa Stark, and it's really right. just some other girl." So it's all about optics. So I really like that. Um, you know, it's all bullshit. It's just whoever, especially in this this morally decrepit world that we find ourselves in uh it is might makes right and uh you know whoever can be the shittiest person to get on top any way possible just that's that's who has the right to rule i guess sure whatever okay uh let's see so uh it's snowing in sansa or it's sansy's stannis's army uh, as they camp out to wait out the storm, they can't move because the snow is too high. Horses are dying from the cold. Uh, it looks like it's pretty bad. It's not desperate, but it's kind of bad. Coach Davos advises them to retreat, go back to the wall, and regroup. Stannis objects for two reasons. Uh, one, if he retreats, he'll be labeled a coward. Two, if they go back to Castle Black, they're going to stay there all winter. And that'll allow the Boltons to gather strength and just, you know... The uh, worst problem when they finally do get to him. Uh, Davos is dismissed, and Stannis then questions Mel's visions. He basically has a question of faith, and Mel is supremely confident, saying that she sees herself uh, on the battlements of Winterfell, and she sees the Bolton banners uh, being lowered. Both things that we see come uh, to pass in Season 6. Spoiler alert again. That's the second one. Um... Uh, so that's kind of fun. Uh, she does mention what she did with Gendry's blood and those leeches. She caused three kings to die, so she says, and she's saying she has an even better blood bag with them right now, and it's Shireen! 
<laughs> Stannis is repulsed by this and immediately sends her away, ending the scene. Yeah, so uh, rape wasn't enough. Uh, senility yeah. and death weren't enough. Uh, what about the child burning that's yep. coming? Yeah. It starts uh, and, off on a brutal tone. Yeah, yeah. and like I I think we talked about this when we first watched these last few episodes, getting ready, gearing up, and I don't know if the audience has heard this, but uh, I, I mean... Uh, yes, I have a lot of problems this this season, but I hated uh, Stannis's <laughs> situation here because it doesn't seem nearly that desperate. I think he burns her like next episode. I think. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah, um, I'm not sure if it's the next one, but it's definitely coming I, very I, soon. Yeah, I think it's pretty pretty soon. But uh, it just mm-hmm. it, it didn't do. I I believe Stannis <laughs> would do it, but I believe it would have taken a while for Stannis to get to that point. Um, it's not like I'm a huge Stannis fan, but I do like, I kind of like the character. I never thought he would be, you know, he would uh, emerge victorious from this whole scrum that's going on for the uh, the Seven Kingdoms. But you tend to like him uh, as the book series goes on. So I think I was a yeah, little Yeah, because upset. he's one of the only people who seems to have a set degree of principles and he yeah, tries he to stick does. to them. Even if it, the uh, absurd results, at least he is trying to stick to what he thinks is right. Absolutely. Which most people don't in this world. You know, and that's true with our world. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Stop in our life and talk about the show. It's in the round table. Oh, the, Jesus. The group. Okay, where do we go? All right, so next we return to King's Watch, and uh, a couple of creeps enter where Gilly is doing her laundry. So things are looking up, right? A pleasant yeah, they have, yeah, they have romance on the brains. Uh, after Gilly is non-compliant, they start getting real handsy. Sam sweatily arrives with a sword and threatens the creeps. Creeps begin beating the crap out of Sam while he screams and Gilly tries to help. And just when you think Sam is done, after getting the shit kicked out of him, he rises and says, get your damn hands off her. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Miraculously, Ghost arrives and scares off the creeps. Sam then hilariously passes out, guessing he ate too much fudge that day. We transition to Gilly tending his wounds. Gilly says uh, just to leave next time and let it happen. There's some back and forth, and uh, more or less Gilly just says, just take care of little Sam in case she's murdered by rape at Night's Watch. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, Silly uh, Gilly then goes to get water, but Sam asks her to stay. Gilly gives Sam, Sam a big smoochie and then begins to make love to him. Well, he presumably prematurely ejaculates. Uh, yeah. So I hated this. So for yep. the first two reasons, uh, yeah, when Sam does have that um, George McFly moment where he gets up. Hey, you get your damn hands off. <laughs> After getting punched in the face, like I, I counted them. It was exactly 75 times. That was like a, that's a, you, you could have died from that easily. <laughs> right. Um. But he does get back up, and you're like, oh, shit, Sam, he did kill a White Walker and a Thin. He does have it in him to kill somebody now. But then he gets undercut. All that bravery gets undercut by the random appearance of Ghost, you know, the direwolf who somehow allowed indoors, uh, even yeah. when John's not around, because John left on his mission. Second, I hated the Scooby-Doo-like ending to the scene where like ghost yes. shows up and the guys are like let's get out of here oh, bu- 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 yeah. bu- bu- the sound of their feet turning so fast that they lose traction <laughs> that's exactly what happens i wish i could make that noise <laughs> oh, bu- 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 i can't do it. noise yeah. yeah i'll drop it in no i won't uh, that's too much work um yeah and uh then he passes out it's such a fucking like cartoon and and the third reason i hate this 
they wasted direwolf CGI budget for this scene. Oh God! Yeah. Fuck you. We can't put direwolves in this in the season in the show at all, and they waste it here. Yeah, and the really it, and again, this is they added the rape element of this. So this, the only thing that is similar to the books to the scene is that Sam and Gilly actually uh, make love after they get too drunk after Master Eamon's passing. Yeah. So in other words, they took this thing that the show writers <laughs> wanted to show Sam. Hey, can we lose. insert rape into this somehow? Yes. Yeah, well, we need Sam to kind of betray his uh, his vows and make love to Gilly. Show how strong the relationship is. Oh, but uh, where's rape? <laughs> uh, yeah, what's your name? Oh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, Clive Johnson. I'm writing the episode. I'm highly... Re- oh, yeah, we love the episode. Love it. We uh, just noticed uh, something was missing. <laughs> this, wait, element. this is a Clive episode? <laughs> yeah, it's Clive Johnson. So. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, another... Like, the sex scene went on way too long. They could have very... Uh, graciously cut to black. We we didn't see any nudity, which doesn't check any boxes. They just stuck around for what seemed like forty five extra seconds just to get Sam going. Oh my! Which I guess yeah. is hilarious to somebody. Yep. Yep. The people who are viewing this as Jim and Pam. I'm sure they love it. <laughs> uh, is that the American Office? I've only seen the British one. <laughs> Jesus Christ! You're an idiot. You know goddamn well right, what it is. Turn. No, it's uh, it's on you here. Oh, really? Oh, fuck yeah, you're right. Yeah. Okay, I'll cut all that. No, I won't. I'm too lazy. Uh, somewhere close to Marine, because I guess we see pyramids in the back. It could be, yeah, probably Marine. Um, uh, Tyrion and Jorah are uh, in a chain gang going to a slave auction, the lamest slave auction in the world. Uh, the slave Barker tells a kind of diced up story of Jorah's past about how he did this, did that exaggerate some of his deeds like instead of a blood rider he killed Cal Drogo in single combat uh so uh, Jorah gets sold to some guy some douchey master or whatever some guy in robes and Tyrion panics desperately wanting to go with Jorah for whatever reason maybe he you know thinks Jorah's his best uh way to get to Daenerys or freedom or something I don't know he freaks out uh, and he says, you have to buy me too. They laugh at him. They say he's a very funny guy. He says he's a warrior. They laugh even more. So then he pulls the guy who's he's chained to down on the ground and beats him with this chain mercilessly. Uh, and the guy relents and buys him. Same guy who bought Jorah. Uh, and as they walk off, Tyrion doesn't, or Tyrion, Tyrion doesn't waste any time pushing his luck. Immediately starts trying to convince the owner to free him <laughs> since they're going to Marine where slavery has been outlawed and he gets a backhand for his troubles. Um, and basically that's how the scene ends. Can't remember. Hey, so, uh, all this rape death <laughs> slavery. <laughs> yeah. Now we got some slave trading involved. Um, yeah, it's odd that I start, this struck me as odd that the slave trader let Tyrion go for a song when supposedly he had this magic dwarf wang. So, I'm not sure that makes a whole lot of sense, but... Uh, uh, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, not much to this. Nope. Uh, just showing the, the, the road to Marine for these two clowns. Yeah, and it's awfully uh, it's awfully a quick road, um, seems like. I don't know. Yeah. Because you That's, know later this episode, they get to the Queen, so it, it just... I don't know. No, I'm fine with that. I didn't need to see more. Yeah, I guess I didn't need to see more. It's just... Eh. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, it's so contrived. Everything is just so like, 
magically delicious. Like they just happen to like pop into certain places. It's just like two. It's like jump here, jump here, and they were at our goal. I don't know. Everything just seemed to be too perfect. Um, but I guess you got to forgive that for time a little bit, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I think so. So, all right. So next we go to Marine. Uh, Danny and Dario are in bed. They're discussing yeah. Danny's upcoming nuptials. Uh, Dario is apparently upset by the marriage, so he's tracking, uh, trash talking his dar. Dario wants to Danny to forsake her betrothed and instead marry him, but she says she cannot because he is a queen. And apparently, he she is the only person in Marine who is not actually free. He's a queen. This really, no, <laughs> Danny's the queen. Oh, okay. Yeah, so this really interferes with their lovemaking. Danny is clearly rattled. Dario then suggests slaughtering all the royalty at the upcoming Great Games. Danny replies that she is a queen, not a butcher, to which Dario says all queens are either butchers or meat. Yeah, more uh, dime store philosophy uh, conversation that I just hate about the nature of yeah. uh, power and ruling. Uh, hate it. Agreed, 100%. Snooze fest. All right. Yeah, I think he does make the suggestion in the book as well, but I think he makes the suggestion to happen at the wedding, which would be even more brutal. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be a red yeah. wedding like on a different scale. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the Queen of Thorns uh, goes to see the High Sparrow. Uh, she calls him on his bullshit immediately, says he's a con man that's using the old, I'm just a man of the people trick. Uh, you know, this would be kind of like some kind of, you know, rich New York... Uh, guy telling a whole bunch of poor ignorant people that he's on their side and he understands it <laughs> and they buy it it's weird this fictional world anyway um she says he's just a thug doing cersei's will and he is not intimidated at all and sticks to his story saying oh he's just enforcing the rules of god anyway she threatens him again with the same threat that he she uh gave cersei about how you know, so stop sending food and supplies to the capital. There'll be riots and starving like there was before. Uh, he replies that, hey, there's more poor people than rich folk. And when the poor people stop fearing the rich folk, dot, 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 I assume he means shit's going to get real. Uh, which, you know, never happens. The poor people are always afraid of the rich folks. That's why there's so few of them, so many of the poor. Anyway, she leaves the sept, and on the way out, she gets a sealed message from Littlefinger intrigue right mm-hmm. so yeah i mean this is another situation where i love the queen of thorns but um they're just they're just neutering her when she has these interactions she doesn't get the best of anybody anymore it seems no yeah they've kind of toned it down and um i don't know it's this this one and i think even the last couple that we've seen her she hasn't been quite as sassy or really gotten in any particularly good digs that make you go, oh, shit. Instead, right. it's just kind of her sort of her, her authority or at least attempting to. But maybe it's because she's losing, you know, what she kind of has to do, I guess, in, in terms of the overall story arc for her. But still, it's not as entertaining. No, nah, it's definitely not. So. All right. So next we move on. It's sad time and time. He cries about not being able to help free his wife while Cersei, surprise, surprise, is smirking. Cersei then attempts to talk Tommen off the ledge. Sometimes you just can't do anything to help the ones that you love. Tommen threatens to start a war with the Faith, to which Cersei replies that Marge will be the first casualty. Tommen continues to pout, and Marge offers to step in on his behalf with the High Sparrow to try to free Marge. And then Cersei gives a speech about how much she loves him and Marcella, and she doesn't want any harm to come to them. 
And she says that she apparently thinks that she's saving him from the Tyrells and then crazily begins crying and hugging him. Yeah. So what he wanted to do is he wanted to kill them all, you know? Yeah. And that's what his mom ends up doing next season. Spoiler alert. Goddamn it. That's the third one. Uh, that's the last one, guys. Yeah. Uh, she should have just gone ahead with the plan. She should have been like, you know, Tom, and this is a great idea. Let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, she doesn't realize how much she's screwed up yet. And in the books, you know, I think she's become a lot more unhinged at this point. Yeah, she's um, she's drunk all the time, and she's yeah. in power. It's We don't get this here. It just seems like a miscalculation on her part, instead of her becoming unhinged and losing yeah, touch with reality. It, right. Here, it's a tactical error on her part, not realizing that the potential of her enemy is in the book. It's because she's fucking Looney Tunes on top of these tactical errors, drunk and loony tunes. Yep. So not as interesting. Nope. Uh, moving on. We go back to, uh, Dorn. Uh, Marcella is taken to go see Jamie to prove that she's alive and well. Uh, once there, Jamie informs her that they have to leave because there's been a threat of violence. The whole, you know, necklace in the, uh, Viper gift at the beginning of the season. She says, no way, Jose. This is my home now. I didn't want to come here, but you guys sent me here, and I've been here for four years, and now I'm in love with Tristane, you know, the son of the dude who runs the place. Uh, and then she tells Jamie that uh, she doesn't know him at all, and that he just doesn't get it. He keeps it copacetic, etc. <laughs> I, I, I don't have much to say here. Yeah, the most interesting comment I had was Jamie got to see what it's like to be the dad of a teenage daughter for like five minutes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's really, it's, I think in the book she hasn't been there that long. It seems like she's been here for years at this point in the show. Um, so Yeah, I, the, the, the timing is real off, but it didn't seem like she was made a home. She didn't think of it as her home yet, or we don't get her perspective, so maybe that's just my perspective. I don't know. My feeling, I don't know. Yeah, and Marcella is just so such an ancillary character. Yeah, um, there's nothing. I, I, I to just do. don't give a shit about her. Yep. Yeah, whatsoever. She has no so. personality, no no character flaws. She's just rando daughter I, of uh, incest child number two, I guess. Yeah. Well, if you want to talk about more pointless scenes, here we go to <laughs> Bron and the Sand Skanks down in the cells. Ron is singing song number three of their people. Uh, one skank is apparently down to clown. There's some trash talking back and forth. Uh, one that takes the uh, one with the short hair, the sand skank, takes umbrage that Bron does not think she is the most beautiful woman in the world. Really, sand skanks it up. Uh, coincidentally, at the same time, while she's revealing her naked body, I, for whatever reasons, I, I'm not clear to me. Uh, coincidentally, poison kicks in, and the because the sand skanks poison their weapons like real sand trash. So the sand skank reveals that Bron has been poisoned and gives him the cure after he says that she is the most beautiful wife or woman in the world. And this is just dumb as shit. Yeah, but it accomplishes three very important things. So number one, oh. sets up boobies. That's number three. Way to rob my thunder. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, the sand skanks are dirty poisoners, and it comes yes. back later in the season. Number two, um, it's to show how much they are a force to be reckoned with because they brought Braun, one of the guys who you know basically we think can military or martially take on almost anybody in the show. You know, we've seen demonstrations of his prowess 
in the Blackwater and that uh, one-on-one duel. So we think he's a force to be reckoned with, and here he is almost dying by these um, skanks. And then number yeah. three is tits. So it filled the quota. Yeah, I guess so. Um, God, it's so stupid. So what you know what? One thing I wanted to discuss with you is, you know, some of these different houses have kind of a thing that they're known for that is kind of a cheating or unfair or uncouth in terms of battle. Which, I, what, what do you think is the worst one? Um, the go. ones I'm, spe- Let's I'm talk, thinking yeah, of specifically. The ones I'm thinking of um, in particular are the House Bolton, obviously flaying people. Oh, yeah. It's really bad. Uh, the Sandskanks poisoning people is very bad. Um, and I couldn't think well, of it. Yeah, the Lannisters, they have, they, the it's head. like a elephant thing. It's like a, the Lannister never forgets, or they always pay their debts, something along those lines. So that's not that bad. And the uh, I actually, I meant in terms of like unfair battles or how like what they're known for in terms of kind well, of cheating or being disgusting. Okay, the Lannisters of- have money and they're willing to like, uh, I guess, be underhanded to any degree, I guess. I don't know. Like what's their yeah. cheating method? I don't know. That's what I was trying to say. Oh, you're trying to ask me. Oh, I thought you, you you started this with a declarative statement saying that all the houses have a way to like cheat. No, 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 no. I'm tr- trying to think of if any others have something like that. And if yeah. so, which which is the worst one or who is the worst one? So that's a two-part question. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. You can, you can say that the uh, Starks, are, they're, you know, werewolves. They can basically control wolves. Uh that's Damn, is, that like, is that bad? I mean, if they use it, the all the Starks we know now are nice guys. What if they had like a you know, they've had shitty Starks before. Um, yeah. So that could be bad in the wrong hands. I don't know. I mean, these. I I feel like it's an unfair uh, equation too because um, the Martells aren't known for this. It was just. Uh, the one guy, um, the Red Viper of Dorne, like he was an outlier. He was, he poisoned all this shit. And these are, this is his, like, you know, this is the brother you don't talk about kind of thing. (laughs) The uncle that, you know, I don't know, has, you know, lives in a trailer, but somehow drives like a brand new Corvette. Um, (laughs) (laughs) sounds pretty cool to me. A bunch of kids by, you know, a bunch of different girls, women. So, uh, I feel like it's it's unfair, but that's the whole Dornish thing. The whole Dornish plotline, the way it's handled, is unfair to Dorn. And I've said this yeah. a million times, but I do not like the Dornish plotline. I just in the books, I just think it is so mismanaged here that it's it's a new level of awful. Yeah, yeah, I got I, okay. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of uh, kind of just the idea that these people are running around poisoning people seems really uh, uh, particularly uncouth in this. Uh, in this world. Yeah. Even, it should, yeah, yeah. It should be fair fights with the, all the, you know, child burning and the rape. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> all right. So well, that, that discussion went nowhere. So yep. where do we go next? Okay. So Littlefinger is surveying the destruction of his, uh, uh, King's landing, uh, house of ill repute repute. Uh, no one else is there except for the oldest, meanest of whores, the <laughs> queen of thorns. How dare you? <laughs> Anyway, they chit-chat for a bit, and the Queen of Thorns speaks openly about their conspiracy to murder the king, which seems like a little bit too much. You would think they would still, like, codify it in case somebody was listening. Yeah. Anyway, it seems like the Queen of Thorns is convinced that uh, Littlefinger had something to do with this whole Cersei plan to get, uh, 
you know, uh, the Queen of Thorns' grandchildren imprisoned. But he assures her that he has nothing to do with Cersei. She's doing this on her own. And that they are indeed, um, you know, on the same size. Oh, yeah, the Queen of Thorn uh, threatens to expose him publicly for the conspiracy uh, if something happens to her, like she dies or anything like that. Uh, but a little finger reassures her, saying he's going to give her a great gift, the same gift that he gave to Cersei, a handsome young man. Uh, and I really didn't think too hard about this. Who is this that he's talking about? I think he's talking about the stable boy, or that took down uh, that took down Margin and uh, Loras. What are you talking about, the stable boy? Like the guy who testified against not t- stable boy, but. Squire, oh, the guy who yeah, testified. Okay. Yeah, so I think he is all, confirming all of that he. Our, I think. So he is confirming that what he said in the beginning is incorrect or a lie that he did actually have a hand in Marge taking down the Tyrells because he supplied the guy who led to the, the imprisonment. You would think it's just we don't know. Like maybe Olivar was just he went he got the way it's just portrayed in the show is Olivar was just there helping out with that one. Uh, blasphemous sex act with the old um, leader of the the sept, whatever he was. Remember that scene? Yeah. And then the thugs came in, the church thugs came in, and took him and everybody else. So, you know, the show portrays it that he was, Oliver was just running Littlefinger's brothel for him while Littlefinger was away. He got taken captive, and maybe he just cut a plea bargain. Uh, but it is definitely very possible that Olivar tested testified against Loris and Marjorie on the orders of Littlefinger. We just don't know, but it seems like if you're what you're saying is true, is Littlefinger is now just gonna throw this guy away, this loyal subject, this loyal servant who testified against the Tyrells. He's gonna gift him to the Queen of Thorns. Is that what you're saying? No, what I'm saying is that uh, the Queen of Thorns, Littlefinger, is telling the Queen of Thorns. That he gave Cersei Olivar to testify against Marge and uh, or to testify against Loras as being a homosexual. Why would he be telling the Queen of Thorns that he did that? What other explanation makes any sense? The one I just laid out for you. I don't understand what I think I it's gonna understand. it's it's placation. He's gonna give so he has his his number two man mm-hmm. do this horrible thing. Just following orders, hey, you're going to testify against these people and you're going to get them locked up. And then I'm going to take real good care of you. Uh, so the guy does it, and then he's like, oh, yeah, that real good care of you, I'm going to now give you to the Tyrells so no, you but can I think murder he's, them. It, or they can murder you. Instead, instead of that, he's going to give to the Tyrells uh, somebody else to testify against Cersei. Oh, yeah, it's Lancel. That's right. Yeah. You should have just so, said no, Lancel. You were I said something yeah, like Stable sorry, was, Boy. Yeah. Yeah, right. Stable Boy is a goddamn uh, Lannister. No, cousin. no, I was when I was referring to Olivar as the stable boy. No, I was thinking but there's I was just so of, many uh handsome young men in the show, I just can't tell. Yeah, them. but so what I think is that he's confirming that he is the one who was responsible for giving Olivar to Cersei to Marge yeah, okay, and- now I see what you're saying, and that's a horrible thing to admit to her. <laughs> like, if you're trying to convince yes. her that you're on your side, why would you say, oh, yeah, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to give you Lancel. Or, so, basically, yeah. So, Littlefinger. 
That makes sense, but it doesn't. It doesn't make sense in, in some way. But let's. No, it doesn't because why is he letting her know that he's the one responsible for the one who dropped dime on right. on Marge and, and Loris? Uh, right. I mean, he's basically just admitting it, unless she is not able to put it together because she doesn't have the. Force and he's winking. He's laughing to himself inside. Like, uh, yeah, he doesn't know who. But I'm I mean, it's still about. easy enough to figure out. Uh, I would think, but right. I mean, she was there. So Littlefinger is. I'm sure she could put together that he worked at Littlefinger's brothel. It's not that difficult. Oh yeah. Yeah, like she yeah. should be asking him about that right now. She saw the guy. She should be tell me, find me every bit of information on that piece of shit that just um, pointed out my uh, granddaughter and grandson. Um, yeah, so, so you I think, think they're, she they're trying know. to get they're trying to get too cute with the dialogue here, and instead he just betrayed like uh, he is working against her, and now he says he's going to work with her unless they both are just kind of accepting that he is um, what's the term chaotic neutral. You know, it's like. Whoever he yeah, decides. Yeah, but I, I don't think so. I think the Queen of Thorns would have just killed him or had him. Yeah. Like, yeah. if that would have came out. Um, so that doesn't make any sense. But what does make sense is that Littlefinger and the Queen of Thorns utilizes the Lancel thing to get Cersei locked up, which is what we get to next, right? Yes. And I think, is this the first confirmation that we've had that, that they murdered the king together, that they are both responsible for Joff's death? This is the, I think, the first and only, like, outright, we definitely, you and I definitely murdered yeah. this character, like, said out loud. But they've hinted at it so many times. And I think, you know, I think with Sansa and Littlefinger, there was a conversation which made it very plain that that's what happened. That's but, right. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. this is where they explicitly say it. Right, right, right. All right. Okay. So, uh, where do we go next? So, Cersei shows up at church jail, um, you know, like she promised Tom and... Uh, he, she would do to basically gloat in the face of Marge, like some basic bitch. Uh, Marge, uh, tries, you know, getting some verbal jabs, tell her that she doesn't have any decency, all that crap. Uh, but Cersei is just enjoying it all. Doesn't is unfazed. Oh, you know what? We skipped the scene. <laughs> I was supposed to do the next scene, uh, but it doesn't matter. You can just go ahead and finish. This, I'll this finish out. this off. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Cersei, uh, basically, you know, uh, just takes it all, just gloating, and Marge is eventually reduced to yelling and name calling, calling her a bitch. Um, Cersei leaves smug as a bug in a rug, smiling to herself. <laughs> that is not the phrase. I think that's the phrase. Yeah, uh, she goes uh, to meet the High Sparrow, talk about oh, you know, she seems like she's fine. What's happened to her next? And he tells her, and then you know they babble for a while, and then it comes out that he says a young man came to them, Lancel Lannister. Long ago, with a very nasty tale about Cersei, and then he has Cersei um, seized, and we get Septa Unella. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I said it before; she's got a very homely, stern face. But man, that looks pretty good in that frock. Uh, I don't know. Jesus Christ! Uh, yeah. So, anything to say about this? I mean, Cersei is hoisted on her own. Uh, Jean Luc Picard. I think that's that phrase. No, that's definitely that phrase. Yeah. Um, no, not a whole lot. I mean, it's good to see Cersei, Cersei about to get some of a taste of her own medicine. Uh, and also, I mean, I think this is really where, uh, things start to swing back against her, uh, you know, her own strategies backfiring in particular. So, uh, I'm excited to see that aspect of it at least. Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, I mean, I hate Cersei and all, but this just doesn't seem... It doesn't seem rewarding or satisfying what's happening to her now. I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Uh, so what scene did we miss? We missed the old fighting pits. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Where was that? So we're in Marine, and it, it's the old fighting pits. Um, the slaver guy from earlier is giving everyone a pep talk, including Jorah. He tells them that the queen will be there, which, of course, piques Jorah's interest. Jorah is initially riding the pine. Uh, I don't know. I don't understand why. It's not really clear who or what's going out there to fight. But Yeah, there are going to be multiple not. rounds. It just seemed I, like a I, WWF, I not WWE. Well, uh, Royal Rumble, where they just send all the guys and the last man standing wins. So I don't know what what's the next thing going to be. I don't know. The, the explanation would be, of course, that if they allow every fighter to come out, then the guy goes from like sixteen fighters to one fighter in the matter. Of yeah, well, if he's paid enough for it, I think it's worth it. Uh, yeah, this this whole thing. And I was going to mention this earlier, but this is so so stupid. Uh, if they're out there and he's got eight fighters and then just one emerges and then that's it. Like the rate of attrition of fighters is so far beyond ridiculous uh, that this makes, doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You would think if you're a businessman in this situation, you just have like shitty guys. You just fight. You just find like just fodder. You just hire guys that are, that their point is to just die. And then maybe you have two fighters that put on a big show at the end. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyways, uh, so we cut to Danny and his dar. They're at the same pit, and it's an honor, apparently, for the queen to visit all the lower pits before the great games. There is an eight-man melee out in front of her. Jorah is still, who surprisingly is unchained, runs out to see Danny. Uh, and kind of, it's kind of peeking around the corner at her. Meanwhile, Danny is disgusted with the violence. Jorah sees the disgust and decides he must spring into action. Danny goes to leave, but then Jorah arrives, and instead of murdering people, he just knocks everyone out, including one guy where he just kind of punches the guy in the shoulder and he passes out. Um, <laughs> yep. Tyrion is, <laughs> meanwhile, Tyrion is inexplicably chained, unlike everyone else. And a, equal, equally inexplicably released. Yes, by some mute giant. I don't know what the heck that is. Meanwhile, Jorah is out in the fighting pit wrecking. After defeating everyone in the crowd by, again, knocking them out instead of killing them ruthlessly, Jorah reveals himself. Danny wants him sent away, and the guards go to Holloway Jorah when Jorah yells that he has a gift, and Tyrion, the gift, reveals himself. So this is the second awesome band name that's come up in this show. So the first one was Warren S. I think Warren S. would be a pretty sweet uh, like metal band. Warden S? Warden S. That's what I'm sorry. Not Warren. Like... Warden of a jail, right? Yeah. But a Warren Wardeness. Yes. So that's a great name for a band. And also Jorah Unchained. Pretty badass. Not bad. Yeah. I, I'd go see them. Uh but yeah, uh I did like the we opportunity to see Jorah be kind of a badass, but at the same time, it's so neutered and like everybody's a good guy. Like uh Danny is uh, uh, like a uh, pillar of virtual moral. I don't know. She's just like the best person in the world. Going, I can't stand to watch this. I'm leaving. Uh, whereas she could have just stopped it. Should have said, No, this isn't working out. Everybody, stop fighting. I'm out of here. No more killing. She just played like a a meek, you know, person. And then Jora comes out and he doesn't kill everybody. He just punches them. Like it's like a. One of these things where you see a Western and you see the guy shoots oh, no. guns you know out of the hands. You know, you know how they see it's, it's Steven Seagal. 
Or well, Steven Seagal in his movies where people just run at him and he flicks his wrists and kills them. But Steven Seagal at least kills them. This is he's just punching them out for no reason. This is Westeros. People are dying left and right, and he's going about like shooting guns out of their hands. Like it's it's just dumb. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, the intrigue is oh, what is she gonna do with Tyrion? Tyrion's there, son of Tywin Lannister. She knows who the Lannisters are. She probably knows who Tyrion is specifically. Um, what's gonna happen? And I guess that's uh, the cliffhanger, you know. Yeah, but uh, nobody thinks that Cersei's gonna kill, <laughs> you know, Tyrion. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think you have to have an idea of eventually that they're going to end up in some kind of partnership, because otherwise, what, what was the point of this entire right. thing? But. And again, George R. R. Martin has uh, specifically set things up to just deflate them in front of people. So I guess it could be on the table that that Tyrion would eventually be booted from her employ, but uh, not in this situation. I don't think. I don't see it as a. I don't see it as even a glimmer. I mean, maybe later on in the story, but right now you're like, mm, that's not going to happen. I know. I know. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So talking about it, uh, I still I stand by my review. Not a good episode, but not as bad as it has been. Although it's just too much misery and too much like downerism. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and give it a. I want to say 1.5, and I'm gonna give it a two because I'm a, like I said, a very forgiving mood tonight, and I feel like the last few have been so awful that this one, uh, I guess, is better by comparison. Yeah, I think I generally agree with that. Um, just the miserable overtones of it, uh, particularly in the beginning half of the episode, they cut out like half of that crap. Or there was, say, for instance, there was no Ramsey stuff. I mean, I think this would have been a lot more solid episode. Yeah. Um, you know, just tone down the the uh, just abject misery by ten percent. So uh, I am gonna have to give it a, a bologna sandwich, but it's got like a that bologna. You know, bologna has those little pieces of whatever oh, hard like, stuff yeah, in it. yeah, bologna. Oh. You know, like it's almost uh, maybe peppercorns? Well, or, seen, I don't know what it is. I've seen bologna loaf before where they put like green olives in it. It looks awful. Oh, God. Yeah, there you go. Bologna loaf sandwich. Oh, okay. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to eat it all the time, but eh, it's better than a dog shit sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends uh, on what the dog's been eating. That's true. Yeah. <sighs> all right, that guys. That dog's been eating caviar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great poupon. Yeah. Uh, hey, does do kids nowadays know what Greek coupon is? I don't know. How's their uh, How's their social media presence? <laughs> I'm pretty sure they have a hashtag called Yeah, um, Classy Mustard. Find Poupon on the grams. Slide into their DMs. <laughs> uh, guys, go look up two things: homework, uh, Leroy Jenkins, how whatever spelling you want, um, and also Great Poupon on YouTube, and just sit back and have a nice evening. Um, I have been Doug. Uh, you have been Brian. Uh, check out our other podcast, uh, Flick Pals. Uh, we talk about movies. We're about Ooh, to do another one. Or you have a mouse on your pocket. Yep. What is that supposed to mean? Uh, when you say our, and uh, there's only I'm not involved in it, so there obviously has to be some other person or thing involved to, for you to say our as in the plural okay guys i i don't think youtube's gonna cover this but you young people out there you might want to read a history book or something to see <laughs> that this was a i guess a known phenomenon where people would uh accuse other people of including them with using a plural uh subject and uh them saying 
Well, I'm not involved, so uh, you probably never have a mouse that? in your pocket. You've never heard that idiom? When you say uh, well, we don't call and it's me only an idiom. You? Yeah, well, you're obviously an idiom idiot. Uh, no, I've never heard that. I mean, I've heard the blame it on the the dog when you fart, but uh, this whole mouse in your pocket. Yeah, what? Well, yeah, goddamn, Doug. Sometimes I wonder. <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, I and the mouse have another podcast called Flick Mouse. <laughs> Go check that shit out. Um, we're gonna we're gonna keep it on going on through the summer, and of course, uh, the Shameful Dead when the Walking come that the the Walking Dead comes back later this uh, year. We'll talk about that shit. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, get hyped for season seven. We're gonna have some big name guests on. Um, you know, one I can't really talk about, but his name starts with a juror, ends with a main. <laughs> He's gonna be on. He's gonna join us for every episode of season seven. Just in this thing. <laughs> no way. You're somehow making this episode more depressing. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, we'll see you next week for episode eight. Take care. Say something. God damn it. I have to prompt you every time. Thank you. Thank you.